This episode of the Cinemavention podcast is brought to you by Routing Wonk, RozJ001, Alex Hanna, and Wabbit Magic. Want to find out how to become one of the names listed? Go to patreon.com slash is one to find out how. Hi, I'm W. Scott is one, and I have not seen the movie War Games. Increasing his cultural IQ, one movie at a time. This is Cinemavention. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Cinemavention podcast, where we review and discuss classic movies that I should have seen long ago. Today, we'll be discussing the movie War Games, which my guest has seen before. He is the host of the Ritual Misery podcast. Please welcome back to the show, Kent Fallor. It's good to have you back. Oh, thanks, man. It's always great talking to you, and I always have a, a good time when I come on the show. Absolutely. And uh, hey, it couldn't have picked a better time to be on the show because we're all snowed in right now. So (laughs) (laughs) we actually got a little bit of snow here in in New Mexico as well. So really? uh, Yeah, it's snow for everybody. That's that's crazy. Wow. Yeah, no, of course, uh, of course, out here in Ohio, it's uh, crazy here, too. So uh, I hope everyone is staying warm wherever you're at in the world. And uh we're uh, we're gonna we're about to discuss war games. So uh, if you're ready to Heck go, yeah. Kent, then let's, let's go do ahead and get started. So war games is available for rent or purchase on all major internet distributors. But honestly, you should probably just stream it because it's available to stream for free on Pluto, Tubi, and the Roku channel. I was able to watch it on YouTube for free with ads. So pick your favorite. <laughs> War Games was released by MGM on June 3rd, 1983 in the U.S. The movie was directed by John Badham and Martin Brest for 12 days. Uh, Turns out I did some research on it. Apparently he was the original director and then uh, got fired after 12 days due to creative differences. (laughs) But uh, Wikipedia credits him, so I will credit him as well. Uh, The movie stars Matthew Broderick, Dabney Coleman, John Wood, Ali Sheedy, and Barry Corbin. The movie had a budget of $12 million and made $124.6 million in theaters. Kent, when was the first time that you saw War Games, though? I was a kid. I, it was probably, I think I watched it on VHS, probably with my family. Um, 1984, I'm guessing. Okay. So, like, just, so, like, right before it came out on, um, uh, on VHS, like just as about it came out then, right? Yeah, probably. Yeah, because we, we used to get the new releases. Uh, we, we would rent the new releases uh, at the video store when I was a kid. And um, I'm, I'm pretty sure I saw it as a new re- new home video release. So whenever that came out, 84, 85, whatever it was, I was probably seven or eight years old when I watched it. Mm-hmm. Fair and point. I've seen it probably I've probably seen it about a dozen times since then. Uh, most recently today on Tubi. Mm hmm. Yeah, no, it's it's actually pretty nice uh, that it's uh, available for free like that. I'm, I'm noticing some older movies are, you know, every once in a while, they'll go through the uh, free with ads uh, tier, which is always, you know, super, yep. uh, super nice. Uh, so let's get started about talking about the movie. Now, I want to give the audience a little bit of a backstory here on um, this movie, because what I think is interesting uh, about having you as a guest in particular, Kent, is that 
you actually were a member of the military uh, now since retired from the military. Um, and you also work, um, a government job. I know there's some things that you can't say about the job. Uh, but, uh, tell us a little bit about your background in, uh, in that space. Okay, sure. Uh, yeah. So I joined the air force in 1995 and I did 20 years. So I retired in 2015. Um, my primary job was a, as an aircraft weapons loader. Um, so basically, um, you know, all the bombs and missiles and, and gun systems and things that, that, uh, like fighter jets use, uh, it was my job to, uh, to put those bombs and missiles on the planes. Um, of course I did a lot of other things, uh, throughout my career, uh, especially as I, as I gained in rank, I got more like supervision managerial type positions and things like that. Um, and then, like I said, I, I, Retired in 2015, and I immediately got hired as a civilian, so as a civil servant for the Air Force. Um, so I get to be, you know, still part of the mission and be around the people and all that kind of stuff. All the good parts of the military that I really liked, mm-hmm. uh, but I don't have to do all the stuff I don't like, you know, like the PT and the, wearing a uniform and shaving every day and all that kind of stuff. Um, uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm having a good time, uh, now. So I don't do weapons loading anymore. Uh, now, uh, my position is as a security specialist. Mm-hmm. Uh, so basically what that is, is, uh, you know, I'm not a security guard or anything like that. I'm, my job is more administrative. Uh, basically like if I had to break, break it down into the, its most simplest role, it would be assisting fighter pilots uh, with gaining access to classified information that they need to do their job. Mm -hmm. Um, My job entails a ton more things than that, but that's probably the the simplest and most direct, probably actually the most important piece of what I do. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and that's important too, because you have a little bit of insight into, you know, what goes on in, um, in the military and more specifically government response in terms of the military um now of course you didn't work in norad which is you know its own separate division right but right yeah and also i wasn't in the military in 1983 so things are a little bit different now sure (laughs) sure but but having said that though it's still it's still important i think because you would have you have more insight than i think the general um moviegoer would have in terms of these things i think so yeah yeah, so this is this is a perfect uh, opportunity to have you on the show uh, to talk about this movie, and I want to start out with. So I have I want to talk about some of the more finer points of this movie before we uh, before we get into the main discussion of the movie, right? Okay. So when the movie first starts out, it starts out with the, in this place that we, by the way you don't ever see ever again in the movie. Right. Yeah. But we start out at this like it's very windy, like almost like a dust storm type of vibe. It uh, feels like to me like it's very windy, dark and foggy in some random secluded house, like kind of seemingly in the middle of nowhere, to be honest. Right. Mm -hmm. And that small house somehow has an elevator and nuclear weapons in it. Like how (laughs) how did they manage to fit all of that in that tiny little house is my question to you. Because that seems, <laughs> that seems fabricated to me slightly, but prove me wrong. 
Yeah, no, I I think it's actually pretty close to reality because uh, we've got missile silos all throughout the U.S., uh, mostly out in, uh, what, I guess, what you call the flyover states, right? Like, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Kansas and Nebraska and the Dakotas and, and stuff like that. There's all kinds of missile silos out there, and um, they're almost completely underground. So there is there there will be a, a part of the building that's above ground where you can actually enter, but they're like very large facilities that are underground so i think a lot of that was actually uh, pretty close pretty pretty well grounded in reality okay no that's interesting because yeah no i i would have thought that that was like kind of fabricated a little bit for the story but that's interesting that you say that and it's almost Mm -hmm. it's interesting to me because that house is just kind of seemingly like out in the middle of nowhere and i would assume that that is kind of the case like in in all reality right yeah i'm not i'm not really sure what the mechanism is i don't know if there's like a like if it's a gated facility like a like a tiny like a tiny military installation or if it literally is just houses in the middle of nowhere that's something i've never actually uh looked too closely at so i'm i don't know it's it probably is fabricated a little bit though yeah 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 because it's a movie so it's like they gotta fabricate like a little bit of stuff (laughs) like add more nuance to the story i guess you could say yeah. And one thing that I did notice on this viewing that I I don't know that I'd noticed before, mm-hmm. uh, when they do go down the elevator and th- they're in the, the tunnel, basically g- getting ready to go into the vault where they work, there's a sign on the wall that says anyone caught urinating in this area will be discharged. <laughs> wow. I it, it, See, I did not notice that. What the... Yeah, it's just kind of, it's just real subtle. They don't ever like pan to it or zoom in on it or anything. It's just kind of just just like apocrypha in the background and uh yeah i like i i believe that's probably a sign that you would see at a place not necessarily a place like that but but definitely like aircraft hangers and things like that because young airmen i can tell you that work on the flight line there's not usually bathrooms nearby and you're gonna piss wherever you can piss so you go behind a hanger piss on the wall or something like that and Mm -hmm. I've seen signs similar to this around the Air Force installations. So that's interesting. I thought that was pretty. Um, that that was pretty spot on. I think. Really? Yeah. Yeah. No. That's yeah. That's interesting. Because yeah, the like you said. Yeah. No. Like when you're when you're dealing with stuff like that, like bathrooms, I guess can be kind of scarce. They don't have like porta potties for you out there. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes. Sometimes, but not always. Hmm. All right. Interesting. Now, here's the other thing that I got to ask. So we keep referring to in this movie, whatever the DEFCON level is, right? And the DEFCON level is what kind of signifies whether this, whether there is a national catastrophe going on um, abroad, you could say, right? So here's my question, though. Like, again, this seemed kind of like, overplayed for the drama of the story right but is the defcon system actually a real thing yeah absolutely it it stands for defense condition um yeah and it's it's absolutely a real thing uh and and it's pretty much exactly as it was portrayed in the movie it starts at at defcon 5 which is where you want to be that's that's complete peacetime no uh no real threat for for uh nuclear war um, and then it goes all the way down to DEFCON 1, which you don't want. Uh, DEFCON 1 is like nukes are are being fired right now. 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, we have gone in the United States. We've actually gone to DEFCON 2 before. Mm-hmm. Um, one of those was during the um, uh, uh, Cuban Missile Crisis. Mm-hmm. Uh, we went to DEFCON 2 because that was that's actually the closest, or at least as far as I know, uh, that's the closest we've ever been to nuclear war uh, with Russia. Um, and then let's see at nine 11 on nine 11, we either went to DEFCON three or DEFCON two. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember which. And then at the start of, was it the, was it the Iraq invasion? I, I can't remember one of the, one of the more recent wars right at the beginning of it, we went to DEFCON three or two yeah it had it would have had to have been Uh, the iraq war i think because we went into afghanistan like pretty shortly after 9-11 i think iraq came like in 2003 yeah Um, that's right so yeah so that was a couple of years like two years later so yeah so so it's very much a real thing it's not something that that i see all that often because i don't deal with nukes uh but if you go to a nuclear base like that's something that they that they look at because that's their guide for the level of readiness they need to be in. Uh, so like as you decrease through the numbers of DEFCON, that's, you know, fuel the jets, you know, get, get the troops ready, you know, get the jets in the air, you know, mm-hmm. there's trigger points. So like at each number um, there, there's like a checklist of what you have to do so that you can. So what, by the time you get to DEFCON one, uh, you, you know, you're already airborne, you're already firing missiles, you're already doing like, what you need to do yeah and it's interesting because um because i i read this tidbit of information this is kind of a separate thing that i um that i saw um i was looking through like wikipedia um you ever do that thing where you like wikipedia browse and you'll just see like some random articles inside of wikipedia and stuff oh yeah absolutely well one of the things that i did was i went back through like the years and i just went through like there's a section in wikipedia where you can basically put in the year and it has like a timeline synapsis of what happened in the year or what is going to come up in the year. Uh, okay. They have like future years in there as well. And one of the things that I noticed was at the start of 2021, the, the all of the NATO countries actually released a joint statement, which is very rare. All the countries that are a part of NATO released a joint statement basically saying if we went to nuclear war, basically no one wins. And it's funny because mm-hmm. that is kind of the point of the war games movie. Right. Right. But this yep. is, but this is all it at the actual NATO nations all coming together and saying, yeah, if we went to nuclear war, this would be, this would end for everybody. So mm-hmm. it's basically like a word of warning, like don't do it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, um, that's 100%. Yeah. So there is a, a tour group that visits the uh, NORAD Command Center. And I know that um, there are all types of government facilities that have like tours and stuff like that. You know, most notably, the White House has a uh, mm-hmm. has a touring facility where you get to actually tour the inside of the White House. And if you're really lucky, you get to see like, you know, some really important people walk through the halls and stuff like that. Um, there's a tour group that visits the NORAD command center. Mm-hmm. I, here's what I'm wondering though, because I have to imagine that those military, um, you know, centers in the U S are super secure facilities. 
And mm-hmm. so for there to be a tour group visiting the command center, I would have to assume that the uh, that the conditions have to be right in order for those to happen if they happen at all. Is that correct? Yeah, no, absolutely. And NORAD in particular, I'm I'm not sure if they do or, or did uh, tours. I would say they probably did, but some things that I thought were were like fabricated would be uh, first of all, the tour group just down there on the floor next to all of the uh, you, you know, all of the command terminals and stuff like that, that wouldn't happen. Um, they would have to be like, you know, maybe they could get a view of that facility, like from a windowed room above it or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then also when, when classified operations are happening, there's not going to be members of the public there. Right. right. So, so when they were going, uh, like when they lowered the DEF CON and, you know, shit was happening. Like they thought that, that Russia was going to attack or was about, it was attacking or, or, you know, um, they still had the tour group there and that, uh, uh-uh, no way, like no yeah. freaking way. Uh, those, those civilians would not be <laughs> in the facility at that time. Yeah. Not to mention the fact that, that it's like, what a troll to have that welcome sign, <laughs> you know, like the, you had the lady at the command center, like push a button that like <laughs> sounds yeah. off a siren. Like I have yeah. to think, especially nowadays but even back then like that that doesn't happen right like you can't you cannot be setting off false alarms like that right yeah i don't think so i mean that might be that might be a thing that somebody did once or something like that but i I don't think that's a common thing um that's certainly not something that that i would set up like if i had a tour coming through one of my facilities Mm -hmm. i First of all, I'd do everything in my power to not have that tour happen. Well, sure. Um, because it completely disrupts our work. But mm-hmm. um yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't I wouldn't do that. Yeah. Fair enough. So uh so we have sort of like the, you know, military things out of the way. Now I want to transition to sort of the uh technological aspect because one thing that you and I are um, very much uh, on the same page about is technology. We are both uh, mm. geeks and we love <laughs> dealing with technology, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, and, yeah, and especially like I was definitely, because a lot of people are into computers and stuff like that now where they're so commonplace, but like back in the 80s, like I was definitely a computer nerd. Like I, yeah, I wanted a computer of my own so bad. So like every time I had an opportunity to use one, whether, you know, at school or at, at like uh, uh family member's house or something like that Mm -hmm. like i that's all i wanted to do was just tinker with the computer and see what it could do and see what i could get it to do and stuff like that yeah no and i was the same way like i didn't get a computer of my own until i uh until i was in college uh but yeah that was like i i was the one that was always on the family computer you know messing (laughs) with uh with messing with stuff like you know doing what i like to do um and uh and I have to imagine that, like, even in the 80s, like, if I were around during those times, I would love to, you know, I would love to still be doing that. Like, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but let's talk about it because there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of hacks that uh, that David uh, Matthew Broderick's character um, does in this movie Uh and one of those things, uh, one of the things that happens when he gets off the uh, when he gets off that truck is he goes to a phone booth and he 
he basically finds a piece of metal, like some sort of metal um, on the ground, mm-hmm. right? And is able to basically get a free call on yep. the uh, on the phone in the phone booth. Of course, uh, my generation's like, a phone booth? What's that? <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, yeah, yeah. Phone freaking is a real thing. So freaking spelled with a with a PH. Um, freaking is is basically hacking phones, hacking public phones. And uh, people did a lot of that sort of stuff um, back like back in the 80s where you where you could get free long distance calls and things yeah. like that. But it was usually now what, what he did in the movie where he basically like grounded out the microphone like on on a piece of metal. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that is a, th- a real thing that you'd be able to get a, a phone call with, but uh, there's definitely um, using sounds. So basically, uh, you know how a modem sounds like you remember the old dial up, right? Yep, uh, yep. Sound, you know the. Yep, I had yeah, those uh, are actually I sounds. Up. I had dial up for many years. Yeah, I remember that sound. Yeah, those are actually sounds that that the the distant end computer is interpreting. So so that's actually like code that's being transmitted. And people figured out that that computers can understand like certain sounds and whatnot. So they would they would come up with recordings of different commands, basically. Yeah. And th- like they would have it on a um, on a, a, like a little tape recorder or there was a there was actually a thing. I can't remember what it is. Uh, a whistle, I think, that came out of a Cracker Jack box or a cereal box or something that people were able to use to yeah. replicate certain sounds. And yeah, Wermole yeah, is saying can, the uh, in the Discord, uh, Captain Crunch Bosun Whistle. That's apparently that's it. Yeah, yeah that's it. That's yeah, it. absolutely. So yeah, so fo- phone freaking is is absolutely a real thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and that's the other thing too. Like telephone operators, the fact that there was an operator that you would talk <laughs> to on the telephone to connect you uh, to where you wanted to go, right? Like that's yeah, that's a thing you don't see well, anymore. And that, yeah, I, I don't even know. Is that is it still a thing? Because I, I don't. Think I haven't that's... dialed zero on on a phone in a long time. Mm-hmm. So maybe but, I mean we we just Google numbers now. Like we don't right. Like if we want to call you know Walmart in Alamogordo, you know we just we just look it up and call. Right, right. Um, By the way, the um, internet. Yeah. Oh yeah. Go, sorry. What were you gonna say? Oh, I was just saying before the internet. Yeah, you, we had to call the operator. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think uh, famously, um, Steve Wozniak. There's a story of Steve Wozniak, um, hacking, uh, you know, phones to get like free long distance, like back in the '70s, like when they first yeah. started Apple. So yeah, that's yeah. that. That's insane. I, I do have a gripe about this movie. We kind of talked about this a little bit in the Ferris Bueller, uh, movie. Uh, which by the way, I, I didn't plan to have two Matthew, Matthew Broderick movies back to back like that, but yeah. it just worked <laughs> out that way, which is incredible. And also the fact that we have Ali Sheedy in this movie, uh, from breakfast club. I think this is even before breakfast club. Um, I think, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Cause this is 83 breakfast club was 84, I think. So yeah, this was the year prior. Um, mm. but we talked about this a little bit, but on the computer, on the school computer at the system, when uh, when David gets sent to the principal's office, he looks underneath the uh, the desk, and there's a password to get into the school computer system there. Yep. And the passwords are literally written on the desk. What? Yep. <laughs> 
Yes. Yeah. That used to be the thing, man. Like, like nobody thought about, you know, people breaking into computers and using them for malicious purposes. Like it was just not, not a thing. Like security was basically non-existent for computers back then. Yeah. But also yeah. too, like here's, here's the thing about this. So he gets the password, right? He then uh, goes home to his, like his home computer setup, which by the way, for an eighties computer setup, that is sick looking, right? Oh, super <laughs> sick. Super mm-hmm. sick. Yeah. And, he he logs into the com- into the school's computer remotely. I, mm-hmm. From what I understand, he basically takes like a rotary phone and puts it on a device that somehow like interprets. It, I I feel like it's kind of similar to some like a. It almost seems like it's similar to a fax line almost. Like because the fax lines like also have a phone in there too. Like they have a phone number, but it's not for yeah. calling. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. So it's it's basically a modem. Like that's kind of how modems worked back then, where the phone is actually. So so we talked about the sounds, right? So like for freaking mm-hmm. and whatnot, right? Um, but yeah, so like the sounds that would come through the phone lines would be like issuing computer commands and helping you link up, uh, just like we were talking about the old dial-up modem sound, right? Um, but it was just more more low tech back then. Right. So you would actually place your phone onto the, um, uh, you know, the little cradle that he had. And that was hooked up to this big box. There was a, like a bod, you know, the old school bod modems that probably weighed like 30 pounds. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah. That's, that's exactly how that worked back then. Yeah. So it sounds to me like, so based on everything you're telling me, it sounds like war games is actually pretty spot on with the tech. It sounds like, Pretty much, yeah. The, at least that's my understanding because a, a lot of uh, government policy even uh, came to pass because of this game. Or, or sorry, because of this movie. Um, President Reagan famously uh, watched war games and told his, like, told his, his cabinet that, hey, we need, to, uh, we need to investigate the things in this movie to make sure that our systems are not vulnerable in this way. Wow. Um, and and yeah, and a bunch of laws came to pass. The a lot of policies in the government as it came to like computer security and stuff like that changed because of this movie. Wow. That's crazy. Um, but also, yeah, but also like this movie brought awareness to the public of of hacking and the number of hacking incidents went way way up after this movie came out. Mm-hmm. Um, which interestingly, hacking wasn't even illegal. Like hacking into like systems that you don't own uh, right. wasn't even illegal until the 90s. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act, uh, that that didn't come until like the... What, what it was, was like it, 92 like, or something? Yeah, like early 90s. Yeah, yeah. that's crazy. Yeah. yeah, so like literally you could hack into a computer and presumably even a um government computer and not face consequences for it right yeah well so th- that act made certain uh more specific things illegal where uh usually when you break into a computer you're also breaking other laws right like whether it's theft or mm-hmm. um you know privacy laws or something like that so so they would still get you um 
there's also like um, like computer uh, what is it telephone fraud or something like that has been on the books for a while. So if you mm-hmm. use the phone system to hack into a computer, they can get you that way. Right. Um, so a lot of people were still getting in trouble for that stuff, but there was no specific hacking laws uh, until that act. Right. Right. So yeah, with all that being said, uh, without with with all of everything that is you know explained in the movie, like. Let let's talk about um our favorite parts of the movie um because I, I have I have a couple favorites of mine that I want to discuss and also some other uh, some other stuff as well um mm-hmm. so I here's the thing uh w- going back to the start of the movie um those those people in the bunkers right those um military members I I guess you would call them military members right yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So the they are about to launch the actual nuclear weapons, right? Like and they're thinking that this is the real deal. Uh but supposedly mm-hmm. this is supposed to be a test, right? But they somehow misinterpret it like somewhere down the chain of line something doesn't get relayed properly, so they think it's a the real deal. They're about to send nukes to the mm-hmm. Soviet Union, right? Yep. In my mind I'm thinking, how does this happen on a government level, right? This does not seem like this should be happening. Like, this doesn't seem realistic. But then again, I remember back to the uh, to the Hawaii missile alert um, uh, thing that happened back in 2018, where yeah. um, because, as you know, back then, tensions were high between the U.S. and North Korea at the time. Um mm. And uh, so everyone was fearing like, oh, like, what if a what if a missile from North Korea is actually launched? Right. And in Hawaii, uh, one of the uh, one of the workers there accidentally sent out a real missile alert that that, where it said, like, this is not a drill. This is a real thing. But it was Mm -hmm. like a mistake in the computer program that he was using. So from that situation i'm thinking well okay then this has got to be like somewhat more realistic in the movie now you know yeah yeah totally i mean we're in the military we're we're usually pretty good about exercises and you know letting people know that it's not real world it's it's an exercise and you know we've got different systems in place for that and it usually works pretty well but you have to remember it's people that send those messages and people that make those decisions and people that, you know, so people is the lowest common denominator here. And obviously we're flawed. We make mistakes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So sometimes, yeah, those things, no matter how uh, like watertight your system is like, it's still people that have to execute. And yeah, sometimes people make mistakes. Yeah. No, so, and, and, yeah. And, and I can't, and honestly, here's the thing. I can't fault the guy a little bit for wanting to make a phone call before this actually gets done you know what i mean like i want someone on the line before i actually hit this button that's gonna basically kill a bunch of people if i push this button you know what i mean yeah i i get it but also like you you've been trained to do this like if that was a concern that you had that's something that you should have brought up a long time ago not while shit's hitting the fan right and right and the fact that the guy had to pull out a gun on him basically and yeah yeah like that's yeah (laughs) So so the solution to this problem, of course, is to have the uh, computer make the decision, according to McKittrick, <laughs> right? Like, that's totally yeah. so the solution, right? So that's that's the thing. Like, 
yeah, computers are better than we are about like ascertaining logic and things like that. Um, so like I said, people, people are fallible. People make mistakes. Computers make fewer mistakes, but we can't take the humans out of, out of the loop, Mm -hmm. uh, especially when it comes to, to decisions that determine like life or death, you know, especially on a scale of, of, you know, thermonuclear war. Right. Um, You have to have real people involved in making that decision. You can't just let a computer just fire off missiles because that's, Mm -hmm. you know, that, that, that's how you get Terminator. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Like that's, but it's interesting that you say that, right? Because like we are kind of having those similar, those same conversations even today. Right. Like, absolutely. I mean, Mm -hmm. it may not be on that particular scale. Like it may be a smaller scale than that. But the conversations we're having haven't really changed from back then, if we're being honest, you know, like it's still a question of whether the computer does the job or not. Yeah. And I I think that's going to continue to be a debate, like whether we're talking about self-driving cars or military systems or aircraft or uh, anything like it's we're going to continue to have that debate until eventually we have robot overlords. And then that's when the debate. Will stop. <laughs> <Yep>. But <laughs> but yeah, that's that's going to be an ongoing conversation for the foreseeable yeah. future. But but uh, but as David said, he doesn't believe that any system is totally secure and no more true words have ever been spoken. My friend, <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's 100 percent true. And that just like even with um, one of the ways that we we secure our systems is through encryption. And we keep increasing the, um, you know, the level of encryption. So like now we're like most of our systems are 64 bit encryption, but they can go like way, way higher than that. And the thing is, it's a, it's basically an algorithm that is very, very difficult and time consuming for even the fastest computers to break that encryption. So it takes just a ridiculous long time. Um, but even that's not totally secure because if you get a, a computer system fast enough, um, like the uh, quantum computers mm-hmm. um, that that actually are a thing that exist, right? Um, but they're just not commonplace because they have to be kept at like like damn near zero Kelvin or some shit for them to work, right? Um, but anyway, like with a quantum computer, like sixty four bit encryption would be hacked in like half a second or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, absolutely. No system is totally secure. Yeah. And honestly, after this movie, I come away with the same conclusion as general <laughs> general Behringer, where he says, yeah. after very careful consideration, sir, I've come to the conclusion that your new defense system sucks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's one of my favorite characters throughout the movie. Cause uh-huh. he's just so just old school and, and, you know, just saying like the sayings that he has and things like that are just, Oh, he's he's just uh, he's right. great to watch. Right. And and here's the other thing. I get that the supercomputer's name is an acronym, right? Like the Whopper, like but why yep. Whopper, right? This isn't fucking Burger King, right? <laughs> well, interestingly, so NATO actually had a supercomputer that was similar to Whopper, but mm-hmm. it was called Burger. I don't remember <laughs> what it stands for, but it was like B R G R or something like that. And oh, that's so, crazy. Yeah, and and that was known to the public. So this was like kind of a nod to that. So we're not going to use the same word burger, but we're going to we're going to make a nod to it by saying <laughs> that's yeah. funny. Uh, can I can, can I just mention too? We mentioned earlier about the fact that Ferris Bueller was the previous movie that we covered, and uh, Matthew Broderick in all of his movies is just keeps getting into trouble in school in his movies. Like it just seems to yeah. be a common theme, right? Well. 
Yeah, and not only that, hacking into the school computer. He did that in Yeah, he in did Ferris that Bueller in Ferris Bueller. Well. Yeah. In fact, I literally <laughs> called back to it. I I on the Ferris Bueller episode, I I mentioned like haven't you, haven't your lunar lesson from war games, Ferris? <laughs> <laughs> so, yes. yeah. Uh funny. I I got to mention this part because like I I, I can't not mention this, right? But <laughs> I love how like at the start of the movie, um, uh, it was, uh, I think, uh, Ali Sheedy's character, Jennifer, right? Yeah, Jennifer mm-hmm. and yep. David. Like, from my understanding, they are not in a relationship when they start the movie, right? But Yeah, just, they but, seem like acquaintances. Like, not even necessarily friends, just acquaintances. Right. But, uh, but then they, like, but then Jennifer offers to give David a home, a ride home from school. Um mm. And and he's and he's like, oh, I'm not going to summer school. Why? Oh, I could. Uh, I I can't. I can't really explain it here, but I can show you in my room how I'm not going <laughs> to summer school. I'm like, yep. yeah, yeah, sure, okay, buddy. <laughs> yep. <laughs> like hell yeah. Like this is about to be a different kind of movie. Mm-hmm. And of course, mm-hmm. you know, of course not. You know, it was it was very very PG, very um, uh, yeah, very very. <laughs> kid friendly i think sure yeah yeah but like in an alternate timeline this movie goes a completely different direction definitely definitely um but i also like here's something that like is so unrealistic to me where it's like where it's like they portray they portray jennifer as like this like i i don't know like it's almost like a combination of like she's the good she's she's like a good person but she'll get like she'll do some like stuff that's like a little borderline i guess but i don't understand like jennifer is so pissed that when david changes her grade in biology like i just i just can't see that happening i well i think what it was she was paranoid about getting caught i think sure i think that's what it was because like it's well known to the teacher that she's getting an f um, and if she suddenly has a C, then, you know, it, like it's, it's fairly easy to make, you know, connect the dots like, well, you know, mm-hmm. somebody broke into the system and changed the grade, especially later when, when David changes it to an A, like, you right, don't go from an F right. to an A, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I understand her paranoia there because I, I went through this a little bit as a kid too, where some, you know, one of my friends was getting into some sort of shenanigan. And I would kind of freak out. I'm like, like, no, 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 don't, no, don't do that. Don't do that. You know? And I think that's more what it was. I don't think it was the fact that she didn't want her grade changed. I think she was just afraid of, of them getting caught, uh, which later, of course she changes her mind and says, yeah, go ahead and change my grade. And yeah. Right. And he was like, oh, I already did it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Also the fact that the teacher is showing, uh, showing the whole entire class that someone got an F on a project. Like yep. you, you don't see that anymore. Like you can't do that anymore. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I wouldn't expect to see that these days, but that, that definitely happened in the eighties. Absolutely mm-hmm. happened in the eighties. Yeah. What's interesting though, to me is like this, it's interesting that this movie depicts biology as a boring subject, right? Because like biology is like the one class that they like go over, right? Here's what I will say, like personally for me, because I took biology, I think in my sophomore year in high school, I think. Uh, okay, ninth, ninth grade for me. Yeah. 
but but here's the thing about biology for me is like my biology teacher was actually pretty fun. Like he he did he did make the subject entertaining. Like full credit to him because like it still wasn't my favorite subject, but for but for me at least it was fun, right? Like even yeah. if I didn't enjoy the the content that much. So it's like so like in my mind the teacher being boring as hell in the movie is like you know that's what makes it or breaks it for a lot of students when it comes to certain subjects i feel you know definitely definitely i i feel exactly the same way if the teacher is engaging it, it's easier to learn the material i mean just hands down if if you're just boring just like you know, like like uh ferris bueller's teacher in in that movie that you know the, anyone anyone like <laughs> of course everyone's gonna fall asleep in that class and not learn anything you know mm-hmm. and uh, like high school movies in the eighties tended to to just you know show teachers being that kind of archetype that just boring, yeah, hard ass. Um, like you know, now, not- can anyone tell me about yeah, yeah. this? Yeah, like <laughs> yeah. yeah, but yeah, that's definitely make or break. If you got a good teacher, you're probably going to do better in that class. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. By the way, uh, so we were talking about it too, like. Uh, like and and here's the other thing too like later on in the movie like like Jennifer just comes in and barges into David's room and by the way the the dad doesn't seem to to care at all that she's in the room right it's like it's like oh yeah. i'm David's friend okay <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah well that's another trope of 80s movies parents are generally just disengaged mm-hmm. from from the kids so yeah like i that was not unexpected. For yeah. Movie. Yeah. Well, and, uh, and, and, and that's the thing too, cause we don't ever see the parents again after, uh, David gets, um, you know, arrested, but yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like I, me as, as a 40 something year old man and parent, like I want to know what was going on with them. <laughs> you know, Right. Like when your, your kid gets arrested by the FBI, like what the fuck? Like, that to me is an interesting part of the story that they just left out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh but he get he gets put into this like like it's weird because like instead of like immediately detaining him, they kind of like throw him into this like medical room almost. Like it, yeah. I, I guess maybe yeah. it was for like a psych evaluation or something maybe. Um I think they were just I think they were just holding him there for for later because like he wasn't at a jail they actually took him to norad so the norad folks could talk to him mm-hmm. and you know you don't have you don't have jail cells or anything like that so i think they just found a place to put him uh um, yeah and what what better place than the the medical room i guess <laughs> i guess yeah yeah but also like uh <laughs> that uh that nurse that's just on the computer and you got that creepy man who's like trying to yes you know, like hit on her and as like casual sexual harassment in the office. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And yet again, another common thing in the eighties. Yep. That happened all the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's, I, here's one of the more interesting points about uh, this movie. Again, another, another inconsistency and like kind of unethical thing here. Well, we'll get into the unethical part, but McKittrick is talking to David about the systems, right? Mm. And and David claims that the machine responded back to him when he when he when he talked where when he sent those messages to the machine, right? He's like, mm. machines can't talk to people. 
I'm just like, well, this one can. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, in fact, I th- I think what he was referring to in that scene was that the he he said that the the computer called him, where like because originally he hacked into the system, right? He right, called the machine, right. mm-hmm. but then later the machine was calling him. Whopper or Joshua uh, mm-hmm. was calling him on his phone, and I think that's what McKittrick was was saying is like, like, come on, like a computer's not going to call a person. Right. And well, yeah, you're right. This one, this one did though. <laughs> so. Yeah. But also the other thing too, is like, because it eventually gets to a point where David asks to speak to a lawyer. And I love how he's, I love how he's like, you know, let's just forget about the lawyer stuff here and you can, yeah. uh, you can, <laughs> and you'll be fine. I'm like, pretty sure yeah. that's not ethical. Pretty sure you can't yeah. do that. <laughs> yep. Like yeah. the FBI literally <laughs> read him his rights and that's one of his rights is he can talk to an attorney like you can't do that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But also too, like why would David jeopardize his situation again? Like he's already in a heap of trouble, right? And he goes back to that computer again and he's like he starts messing with it again. And bearing in mind too that the secretary can see him right there, right? Like why would you why would you jeopardize that situation? Like uh, that just, I, 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 yeah. I, I did not think that was like, I, I thought that was just a stupid move by him and completely unnecessary. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it, it's almost like, um, if, like putting a piece of candy in front of a, a kid and leaving a kid by themselves with the candy, like, and you expect the kid to not eat the candy. Right. Um, that's, that's kind of how I took David with computers. Like you expect him to not touch the computer. Right. Um, <laughs> and also the fact that there was nobody watching him when like he steps outside of his office and expect and expects nothing to happen. Like, what are you thinking, dude? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. But uh, eventually we talk, we, we get to talk to the original uh, creator of Joshua, Dr. Falcon, which we uh which we learn he he actually did not die he did not actually pass away you know the, of course the news um documents say that he did but mm-hmm. he actually did not uh <laughs> did not pass away and and by the way this is very much a a common thing um i know this because it's like when you go into like witness protection or whatever that's one of the things that they do is, you know, they have to give you like a new name basically. Right. Yeah. And yeah. like, basically like, I mean, they basically put in the paper that he died because that is like, that's all that they can, you know, <laughs> that's all that they can do. Right. And then he like yeah. kind of lives siloed away after that point. Right. Yeah. That, that seemed fairly believable to me. Um, Mm-hmm. I don't know exactly why, like why they would do that for him. Like why, like, okay, he knows a lot about defense computers, but like, that's not a, that's not a reason to, to go into witness protection. So I, yeah. that, that's one piece of the movie I didn't quite follow. Yeah. Um, not to mention that, that not to mention that it doesn't appear that he changed his name at all. Like it, his name is still, um, well, so there was an, a made-up name. Um, I don't remember what it was now. Yeah, it wasn't he, very he clear. Was, yeah, like he did, like his house was under this assumed name or whatever. Um, but he still, like he answered to Dr. Falcon and, you know, all that. Like it was, I don't know. It, it was like the laziest 
version of witness protection, I think that I've, that's ever, that I've ever seen depicted anyway. Yeah. Well, and, yeah. and, and the thing is he's talking, I love how he's just casually talking about how life is just futile. Like he's, he's talking yeah. about extinction. Like it's nothing. Right. And I guess that's yeah. sort of a, I guess that's sort of the mindset of someone who is, you know, pretty much for all intents and purposes dead to the public you know what i mean like he's kind of off the yeah. grid well de- dead to the public and also i think because they they um put him in witness protection or whatever like shortly i believe it was like shortly after his wife and child died and he probably was like just in a um maybe a suicidal state or at least a a um indifferent state you know what i mean like mm-hmm. eh, if i live eh, if i die eh, whatever right like I, th- I think that was probably where he was at like he lost his passion for for life i guess at that point and didn't really care what happened so i think that's probably what they were trying to portray with his mindset and yeah like yeah extinction would be cool let's, <laughs> let's hope we die before uh, uh you know let's let's hope we die early so that we don't have to suffer and after the nuclear attack you mm-hmm. know it's like oh okay <laughs> yeah um here's what i want to know though right because uh, you know apparently like after david uh, is like pleading with dr falcon right he eventually changes his mind right here's what i want to know yeah. right like how was david not immediately arrested because dr falcon had to get him some sort of clearance to get him back into norad right like I assume he must. I, yeah. I I I I'm assuming he must have talked it out ahead of time with them. I guess if that were the case. <laughs> but then again, the general is completely surprised to see him. But then, but also like you know, different aspects of the of of the uh, of the system don't talk to each other. So maybe that's why. But like that was the one thing that was kind of like interesting to me. <laughs> you know. Yeah, I, they left that that very ambiguous how that happened. I I don't yeah. think it's necessary for the storytelling aspect. So sure. whatevs. But yeah, it was kind of weird that they just showed up and just walked into a secure facility. Well, ran. They had to run because the door was closing. Right. And of course, and of course they got there just in time. Right. <laughs> uh, but uh, um, yeah, I mean, whatever. It, it's fine, I guess. Mm hmm. It wouldn't happen that way in real life, but in Hollywood, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like it, but also here's the thing, when David sneaked back on to the uh to the bus, the like the tour bus, right? And and uh, he yeah. some and he somehow ends up in a truck in where where did he uh, it was in like was he in Vegas, I want to say? I don't know. Nah, I think I, I think it was in Colorado. Or Colorado. Somewhere. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And like I'd like to imagine that David was just on the side of the road waiting to hitch a ride from and some truck driver felt sorry for him or something like yeah. because that's never uh, that's never explained. Really, it's just he gets yeah. on the bus, well, the bus is out and then all of a sudden he's on a truck, you know? Yeah, well, 1983, that was hitching a ride with a trucker was pretty common. Mm-hmm. Um, so when that movie came out, they didn't have to explain it. The audience understood that he hitched a ride with the with the trucker. Where gotcha. like watching it today, fresh, it seemed like, wait, why was he with that trucker? You know, where because hitchhiking is not at all common now, right? Uh, like it was in like the seventies and and eighties, it was super common. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Fair enough. And 
And here's the thing that it, it turns out the good news was that it was indeed a false alarm and it was just a game, right? Mm -hmm. But why would it lock someone out of stopping the return missiles? Like, that's the part I don't understand. Like, why do the systems go into complete lockdown where not even anybody can get in? Yeah, well, I think, I think that's, that's kind of the point of, that they were trying to make is that, that computers shouldn't be the decision makers. Um, and mm-hmm. so when they proposed letting Whopper like run the missile silos and whatnot, I think what they did was just went overboard. They went from humans uh, being the uh, triggers, if you will, uh, for the event to taking humans completely out of it to include uh, the ability to stop it from happening. So, mm-hmm. You know, like the general said, your new defense system sucks. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Um, Is there anything else that you want to talk about the movie? One other thing I will add to is like, I I, I do like that the uh, that the movie just kind of like once the climax of the movie happens, it just ends. Like there's a part of me that there is a part of me that's a little disappointed that we don't get to see the final outcome. Right. Mm, But it's like mm. once the day has been saved, like, boom, the movie's done. Credits are rolling. Right. There is a part of me that does kind of enjoy that a little bit. But there's also another Mm. part of me that's like, ah, but I wanted to see, you know, them return back home, you know. And yeah, well, I think there was a thing. I don't know if it was uh, in the script and then they just didn't film it or maybe it was a deleted scene or something where uh, McKittrick offers david a job and he ends up being mckittrick's assistant later oh really Um, yeah so that's like a you know what happens next uh little bit Mm. Uh, and there was there was in fact a uh war games part two Mm -hmm. that didn't involve any of the you know didn't have matthew broderick it was a different director it was completely had nothing to do with war games other than just shared a similar theme Mm -hmm. um yeah, I never saw it. <laughs> I don't think I yeah, and it sounds to me like that one didn't do as well. I'm, I have a feeling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, was there anything else that you wanted to mention before we wrap things up? Um, no. Other, I mean, it, it was really nice to go back and watch this movie again. Uh, it, it really holds up. I mean, it, it's yeah. definitely dated for the '80s, but I think uh, mm-hmm. the storytelling beats and all of that, uh, it holds up. Uh, the hacking methodology that's on display is pretty real life the military stuff even wasn't atrociously bad mm-hmm. um I, i'm i'm somebody that if i'm watching a movie that involves military like i'll be like looking for things that are like mm-hmm. out of place or whatever but there wasn't a whole lot of that like um i think they did over overall very very well with the with the whole production the acting was good the story was good script was good yeah um everything I, I i enjoyed i enjoyed going back and watching this one yeah yeah no i i will agree with you yeah when i when i was uh when i was going back through and looking at um looking at this like i was shocked at how like <laughs> you know i was shocked at how like so much of this movie is still relevant today you know mm. even though it came out in the 80s you know so like that is that is shocking to me like how <laughs> how much it's held up realistically you know so Having said all of that, let's give our ratings of the movie here. So thumbs up, thumbs down. What are you rating this movie, Kent? I give it a thumbs up for sure. Mm -hmm. Now, I will say 
Uh, here's my here's my rating on this movie. I was originally going to give this movie a thumbs down. I was initially right. However, okay. I think my reasoning of that was because I was comparing this movie to Ferris Bueller a lot. Like, and, mm. and honestly, that's an unfair comparison, right? Because um, one of the things about the uh, one of the things about the watch parties is that sometimes we'll watch t- um, a bunch of movies like all together, like back to back like that. And like <laughs> War Games felt like such a letdown between Ferris Bueller almost <laughs> that it was like kind of it almost like ruined my um my comparison like my like my opinion was kind of like biased because um, because of uh, because of that right but you know mm. after doing research for this show and you know and rewatching the movie for various aspects. I am going to go ahead and give this movie a thumbs up because oh, right on because right. I do love computers and you know this movie is all about computers and hacking like the story was good you know mo- most of the aspects of this movie like you said were pretty spot on and so yeah after a second viewing of this like I I do really enjoyed this movie a lot so yeah thumbs up for me excellent I'm glad you liked it. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad that you were on the show, Kent. Thank you so much uh, for joining the show. Uh, tell the folks where they can find you online. Yeah, uh, ritualmisery.com. Let's go there. That's got links to all of our stuff. Uh, our big thing of the year is the New Year's Eve Streamathon. Uh, but we do we do accept donations on behalf of the Children's Miracle Network all year long. Mm-hmm. Uh, so go go to ritualmisery.com to learn about that or the Ritual Misery podcast or like any of the things that we've got going on over there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a it's a great podcast and like the dynamic between you and Amos is always fun and yeah, fun, very fantastic podcast. Go check it out if you haven't already. Uh of course, I do a watch party for each of the movies that we review on the show. If you want to watch the movie with myself and fellow listeners, I stream our reactions live over on Twitch. You can also find me there every Wednesday and Friday night, twitch.tv slash wscott is one. But if you don't, if you can't make it live, if you want to uh, join in the watch party afterwards, you can do so by supporting the show on patreon.com slash wscott is one. You get a whole bunch of other perks as um, when you sign up as well. Uh, patreon.com slash wscott is one. If you have thoughts about the movie we discussed today, um, the Cinemavention channel in our discord. That's a place where lots of us hang out and talk about the movie. Um I see that Wearmole is in there right now, and uh, we have tons of conversation about the movie over there. GameNightDiscord.com. Look for the Cinemavention channel. You can send me an email if you have feedback. Email at Cinemavention.com. And if you uh, want to see all the previous episodes we've done, Cinemavention.com is the place to go. If you haven't subscribed to your to the podcast on your favorite podcatcher of choice, please do so. We're on every platform, so that is always appreciated. Music has been, music has been provided by Kevin McLeod. You can check out his work at incompetech.com. And we'll be back next week to discuss the movie High Fidelity, which I think is going to be a fun movie to discuss. I can't wait to uh, see you for that episode. Until then, the only winning move is not to play. How about a nice game of chess? We'll see you on the next episode, everybody.
Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>